You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Hey, everybody. Jackie Lewis here. Welcome to this second season of Love, Period. This season, we're focusing our conversations on my new book, Fierce Love, a bold path to ferocious courage and rule-breaking kindness that can heal the world. Each of my friends will be helping me to think about the themes in each chapter, nine practical practices that can help us love ourselves, love our posse, and then love the world into healing. It all starts with you, and we're going to give you practical tips to make these practices a part of your life. Today's episode is a culmination, if you will, of all of the themes in the book, Fierce Love, a bonus episode with my friend Abigail Disney. Abby Disney is an American documentary film producer, a philanthropist, and a social activist. In fact, she and I did handcuffs together, and I mean, we got arrested together. She's a kind, candid, warm advocate for a better way to make life in America, and I'm delighted to have a conversation with her really on love I am so excited to see you today, Abby Disney. How are you? I am great, and I'm just so happy to see your beautiful face, too. We we had like a drive-by sighting at our friend Rod's (laughs) house, right? Yes. yes. I'm going, you're leaving, you're coming to the carpet. (laughs) But uh, I'm so glad. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, you know, stressors here and there of all kinds finishing a film and uh, all the stressors that come with that and uh, but you know what I, I have to say as um, far as the pandemic goes I'm just so blessed because I didn't lose anybody close to me mm-hmm. everybody's safe and sound but somehow I was able to restore my marriage in that time okay what yeah yeah I don't really oh understand how that God. happens but um, it was very good, and and the, so th- there was good f- that came out personally for me, even if I the think? country's a mess. That's so great. I think the last time we when we got arrested, I think we <laughs> talked about that marriage. Do you remember that when we got arrested together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and in those days, I told everybody everything about it. <laughs> you were, well, you were upset, and I understood that. Oh, yeah. well, I was very yeah. angry. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel comfortable just telling us a little bit about what kind of love it is that would that can repair uh, itself, you know, yeah. during COVID? We'd love yeah. to know. Well, you know, first of all, every, I think everybody experienced the way COVID kind of just put everything into perspective, right? Right, and, right. and you you looked at your priorities, mm-hmm. and um, at the beginning of it all, I still was really angry, and it really took me a long time to get past the anger. Um, and I started looking around me at the imperfections of people I call my friends, hmm. which are no worse uh, or better than the imperfections of the person I was married to for so, so long. Um, we had one final blowout and I was done and we were on the phone with the marriage counselor and she said, are you out? And I started to say yes. And he said this thing. He said, Abby, you're my person. Oh, Abby. He said, you're my person? Yeah. We've been together since we were 19. 
And from the minute we came together, we were each other's person. It was so, Mm -hmm. so true. Mm -hmm. And I thought, if there's any way to put this back together, it's worth doing. Because, yeah, he's my person. And uh, I don't even believe in that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you believe now? Uh, I do. I do. I do. It's it's wow. it's a it's a partnership that was made somewhere not on this earth and um I've been very lucky to have it for most of my life and you know it's worth repairing. Abby, can you tell like like if we're girlfriends having a glass of wine, oh, how, yeah. how did you meet him? Just tell me how you met him. Oh well, he was the cutest cutest guy <laughs> in the college. Uh, um, punk rock band, the Ice Cream Clones. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I knew him all freshman year because he was so super cute, but of course he would never go for a nebbish like me. But um, somewhere around Halloween, our sophomore year, you know how an, and you go as a, a sexy carrot or a sexy bunny or whatever. Yeah. I, I was a sexy nothing in particular. <laughs> but a sexy something. <laughs> He was wearing fur shorts. Okay. I don't know where he got fur shorts from. But anyway, we, uh, we started dancing together that night, and that, that was it, literally. <laughs> I have not kissed another man. Abby. Since Halloween in 1979. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we, have been, <gasps> we have been partners through some hard things, mm-hmm. some very hard things. And we have been partners through some great things. And we have four amazing human beings that are our children. Mm. And um, something must have been right about it, don't you think? (laughs) I am so deeply moved by this, Mm. um, by the story of reconciliation. Yeah. And how love can, like, love can change, right? It can get stressful, tense, funky even. Yeah. But I don't know that when we really love someone, it goes away. No, I don't what can't do imagine where yeah. it would, where would go. It go? Yeah. Um, and I know people who've divorced and and they have these very embittered relationships, and and it does make me wonder maybe there wasn't love in the first place, or or it was mistaken for something else, or mm-hmm. I, I'm not really sure what. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we had been together for so long; we were essentially children. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, nineteen. He, he knew every story, you know, yeah. and, and he knew my parents. He knew my parents so well that sometimes he would have horrible dreams about my mother, which I used to have too. Oh. <laughs> it <was pretty> funny. <laughs> That's how well we knew each other. Oh. And um, you, you know, you share the burdens together and all those things. It's like being in the trenches. Um, it's, you can't, I couldn't just walk away from it. But But I also came to an incredible appreciation for just, how much reconciliation is to ask of people. Yeah. Um, hmm. I mean, Jesus wouldn't spend so much time telling us to forgive each other if it weren't hard. That's really, that, that, that's a quotable yeah. right he, there. He didn't, he didn't waste any words on the, the easy things. No. And, um, and that's what I kept telling myself. But I also knew, like, it was like this full bathtub. Hmm. And, you know, I could pull the drain and the water would drain out, but it wasn't going to drain any faster hmm. Hmm. than I wanted, than, you know, than it was going 
no matter how much I wanted it to go away. Yeah. And, and that was the part about it was that there had to be an element of patience. Hmm. Um, and I had to offer myself enough kindness to just be really mad. Right. Um, I was raised in a, in, um, in a way where anger wasn't welcomed yeah. by me. It was only welcomed mm-hmm. from men. So mm-hmm. I really struggled with the anger. Um, and, so, and so I just, the bathtub, you know, emptied, and then it got filled a little more, and then it got <laughs> emptied. It wasn't a straight line. Um, but over the course of five years, it, over a very hilly, bumpy period, um, we have, I think, found our way to the new and better marriage that we need, that we were always meant to have after I mean, the kids I, were gone. I just, I just am so happy you, mm-hmm. you that we're talking exactly. and we can see each other. Y'all can't yeah. see, but I can see <laughs> rest, restfulness, mm. and something like contentment uh, yeah. on your face. Yeah, I'm so glad for that. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you for that. This uh, this book I just wrote, this fierce love book. Um, you know, uh, Corey, my producer, and I have been working on you know nine guests now, and mm-hmm. for each of the nine chapters in this book, that is that is honest way to you <laughs> with a love note from me, <laughs> uh, but. You know, the first part of loving ourselves and loving our posse, our people, partners, spouses, and then loving the world. And in this book, I'm kind of joining you at, I'm going to call it fierce reconciliation, Abby. Mm. In this book, I illustrate the difficulty of loving self and and loving posse and -hmm. loving world with some of my own stuff. And this is a fresh new story. You know, Corey doesn't know this story yet. So mm-hmm. I write this book and I am honest, 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 like you are honest, honest, Abby. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and there's some stories in here where the characters are my dad and my mom who make mm-hmm. you you, right? Mm-hmm. But also mm-hmm. they got stuff. Yeah. And, I, and my dad's stories in here are about anger and how we express it and shutting down one's girl child. Mm-hmm. And then me rising up in my own voice and the conflict that causes. So two days ago, my dad calls me and says, I read this book cover to cover, and I love you so much. And this book is so beautiful, Mm -hmm. and I'm so proud of you. And I wish I had known more where you were hurting so I could have helped better. Oh, my gosh. But I love you so much. And I just think, you know, that's why he's my hero. Yes. And how our love, though, though, parent-child love, is a model, Abby, for mm-hmm. what you just experienced with your husband, your partner, yeah. that we can rocky and get back. We can wrestle and get back. We can yeah. tough it out and get back. Yeah. We can keep filling up the love bathtub, if you will. Uh, yeah. What, yeah. Why? <clears throat> why don't more of us know that? Or how could we do that? How could we communicate that better? Well, you know, what you just described about your father totally surprised me because I was in your story with you and thinking about how my father would react, and it wouldn't have been that way. Um, So, first of all, we aren't all raised by people with such a generous heart. My, My father was a good man. He was a kind man. He was a generous man. He was many good, good things, and he treated people well 
people loved him. Mm-hmm. Um, but at home, he had a drinking problem mm-hmm. and a temper problem, mm-hmm. and he could be violent. wasn't mm-hmm. frequent. Mm-hmm. Um, but but once once is enough, really. That's right. Because Abby. it's always now hanging in the air from then forth, and and especially if he is really drunk when he does something terrible, he doesn't even remember he did it. So. <sighs> So, you know, all of that goes underground, all yes, of that. And absolutely. if, you know, parents are like a lid on the pot and it's just getting heated and heated and heated. And what are the atoms in there going to do, the siblings, right. but bump Pop into out. each other yeah. and yeah. whatever else. So right. um, my, my, I was very, uh, I was very much like, you know, in the, in the, AA way of casting families. You know, mm-hmm. you always have like the alcoholic child and you have the rebel child and you have, you know, I I was the hero child. Mm-hmm. I was the one who, I was third out of four. I was the one who wanted to be noticed for what I was doing that was good. Right. Yeah. And so I was student body president and I went off to Yale and I did everything right. Yes. And not one thing could I do that they would not you know, find a way for it to be bad news to them somehow. Oh, when Abby. I started my foundation in 1991, they said, don't you understand what an embarrassment this is going to be to us? So, yeah. Oh, wait, a foundation is an embarrassment? Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah, because I had gone outside of their foundation and started my oh. own. Oh, my. So, so, you know, it... it what you want to do is love your parents. What you want to do, because there are also all the good things they've given you on, the right things they've said, and the ways in which they were there for you. And right. when I had my tonsils out and my mom made the best mashed potatoes. Right, right. You know, and all of that kind of thing. You want to, the hardest thing is to hold all of those things. Yes. But do, do yourself the kindness Mm-hmm. Of acknowledging that you did not imagine the awful things, right. that they were in fact awful, yes, um, and and that you are right to be angry. So, the, of all the things, I think that that challenges real love mm-hmm. um, is is the incorporating of those things together, the both and right. Um, unfortunately, two years before my father died, he left my mother. It was terrible, messy, awful. Mm-hmm. It was just horrible, and my mother was just becoming symptomatic with Alzheimer's. It was just, you know, it was awful. And um, and then he got cancer, and he died not long after that. And the whole time I was sitting with him next to that bedside, all I could think about was, uh, hurry up and forgive him. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. You, right. you got to get yeah. to the forgiveness before he dies. And I really couldn't get there. Like I say, it won't go any faster than, than it will go. And... And it makes me so sad because I'm still angry, really. Yeah. And but I know he was a better man than that, um, and I know that he was indeed a very, very good man. Um, but uh, I wish I could have heard one. You know, Abby, that probably I'm so sorry. Right. You know, I wish one I of had those. Not done that. Yeah, just one of those. Been yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 Did you read V's book, The Apology? Even no. Ensler's book. No. Um, this is just to who's listening. Uh, you know, Eve Ensler goes by V now. And this book, she writes uh, the apology she needs from her dad. She writes mm. it for herself, 
And she mm. says it was such a healing exercise because mm. we need that, Abby. We need, yeah. I mean, as a theologian, I can say, you know, forgiveness shouldn't be dependent on the apology. But the no. truth of the yeah. matter is the truth does set us free. Like the yeah. truth, when someone honestly says, I hurt you, I'm sorry. Yeah. I made a mistake. That that lubricates our relationship. It mm-hmm. it does. It it's it's makes a container for um, forgiveness and reconciliation. Like I don't think there can be real peace without truth, right? No, yeah. no, and and that's oh, this is where the um, the public and the private start intermingling, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you when you're trying to forgive someone for something. It would be a lot easier if they wanted your forgiveness. <laughs> yes, that's true. And, and, <laughs> that's true. And it would be a lot easier if they would even acknowledge what it is you're forgiving them for. Um, and and the, like there is the political um, nightmare that we're living right now because right. over there on the other planet, they're thinking the same thing about us. Yeah, they would love us to ask for their forgiveness, and and. And and we have plenty to ask for forgiveness for, you know. They say we make fun of them and we're elitist snobs, and and we are. Yes, yes. <laughs> and we should ask for what forgiveness. Did, what did Hillary call them? The un yeah, the basket of deplorables. Deplorables. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and so, oh, I I my last episode of my podcast was with Gloria Steinem, mm. and um, we were talking about a trip we were on together to North Korea. And one of the things she said was that like uh, the dictatorship there felt like there was this one all-encompassing, unforgiving, unbending father mm. in a in a threat in a in a household where the threat of violence was pretty much constant. Yep. And um and I thought about it to myself and I thought that is exactly how I feel right here. And and the and the family is the atom. Right. And then the families come together and make a molecule, and the molecules come together and make whatever the state is. And if the, the, the atoms aren't sound, you know, what are you building? And and so what you build in your family, if it's a democracy, hmm. if everyone is equally respected, if everybody knows hmm. how to ask for forgiveness, because that's hmm. actually an art, yes. um, and how hmm. to give forgiveness, which is a challenge— um, then, then you you imagine if that that were happening in all of these families across the country, right. what a different political life we'd be living. With a microcosm that is the, you know, sort of nuclear family. Yeah, had it had it at its nucleus. Yeah, wellness, yeah. and I'm going to go wellness and nimbleness and yeah. laughter and forgiveness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. grace, right? And yeah. Right. That would right. rewire the world. It yeah. would rewire the world, Abby. Yeah. You know, I, I have been thinking that, I've thought this for a long time. I remember, I used to go to these conferences, and, and every so often they'd put Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama up on stage together. Mm-hmm. And the two of them were hilarious. They were like six-year-old kids. <laughs> because then when they were in each other's presence, they could not stop joking around and laughing. Yeah. They, they were on the edge of a giggle at all times. And I have to say, I felt in the presence of godliness. Yes. Yeah. When the two of them were together and I was mm-hmm. listening to that, and that the laughter coming out of them, 
that they almost couldn't resist was an indication of just how close they were to godliness. And now I'm going to, this is the kind of awful contrast I suppose someday I'll have to apologize to the other side for. But when I watch the Trump rallies, there's constant laughter at Trump rallies. That's why people love him. He's he's very funny to them. He's funny, yeah. And all of the humor comes from deriding people, calling them names, mocking them, and that kind of thing. And, And that's... The feeling of something not divine at all. That's that's a closeness to the opposite end of where energy is. So there's always in everything two kinds of laughter, and and that's where you need to pay attention. You know, if you're thinking of yourself as a family that's always laughing, but are you always laughing at something or someone? Or or is it someone? Yeah. Hmm, that's That's such a wonderful, important nuance. Yeah. From a great storyteller. <laughs> yeah. Is there life after doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience, an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage. You know, Abby, um, I have a book on my shelf uh, that is that is uh, Bishop Tutu and the Dalai Lama together, mm. uh, and it is true. I mean, I think I want to say something about joy right there. Mm. I, yes. So, I mean, what is that? You know, yeah. I have experienced the kind of derisive, on insidious, almost mm-hmm. evil laughter of people in my family mm-hmm. system. Both mm-hmm. up close and far away at times, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes alcohol drives people to meanness oh, that they think, sure. right? Mm-hmm. And we both have that uh, that mm-hmm. story in our backgrounds, and in a way that the humor is a is a weapon, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like religion can be a weapon. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. And but I've also just, you know, I think about. I'm going to just go to my dad for a minute who is complicated, who also, um, you know, drank. I don't mm-hmm. know that he was an alcoholic, but the, the, the mean dad at drinking was not fun. Mm-hmm. You could be in a joyful family moment, and then the drinking mm-hmm. would just get a little too salty, and then suddenly people's feelings were yeah. hurt, and then suddenly yeah. people were leaving. You know that kind of feeling? Oh, a spiral, yeah. right? You're like, wow, yeah. what's going on? No <laughs> yeah, drinking yeah, yeah. for you. But the thing that he and mom did, if I were to go, what they did well also, together, was even in the hard places. I think we as children felt, you know, you'll read the book and you'll see sometimes silenced and like, that's not good and you can't be yourself and you can't be sassy. But this dad who reads my book and says, you know, I love you and I'm proud of you, like there's always been that 
thread of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, always a constant thread of, mm-hmm. we will sacrifice for y'all. We will take you to every mm-hmm. baseball, basketball, football, band thing. We will, we will create a container in which you can express yourself artistically. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, I could make a list of the things. And if I was going to try to analyze it, I would just have to simply say, though the love was not perfect, there was a lot of love there. You know, you mentioned a word earlier um, that is so important in this, which was grace. Grace, yes. You know, and grace is God loves you no matter what. That's right. Just no, no matter, matter what. what. Right. And grace is mm-hmm. what we need, we need to bring as parents to our families that we, we wish our parents had brought, you know. Right. Yes. Um, and I know my parents love me. I, I know that. Um, but there were times when I was growing up when I felt it was conditional. Yeah. Or that mm-hmm. it was being withheld. Yeah. And I That's don't think it was anything they did on purpose, and maybe it was just my poor self-image or what. But but to come out of childhood with that kind of uncertainty... Yes. Um, That's right. Is, it's, a, it's a handicap it in is. a lot of ways. Yeah. Because, you know, I opened myself up to cruelty, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. both from my parents and my siblings and, and from others, because I thought... I might earn their love that way, mm-hmm. um, and you know I'm I'm very lucky. Mm-hmm. Since we were just talking about getting together with my husband around 19, and he was a really good man. I'm really lucky mm-hmm. because if I'd had a lot of wandering and a lot of trying different kinds of people, I, th- I could easily have been really hurt badly. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so I was really mm-hmm. lucky, and and so. You know, you're always trying to kind of bring that first relationship to fruition somehow. And if you leave for your adult life feeling some kind of like lack that you've got to make up for, you could spend the rest of your life looking. That's right, Abby. To fill that hole. I think that's a really beautifully said thing. And in Fierce Love, I, you know, some people have asked me, like, why did you start with loving the self? And even maybe a little bit of question about, like, am I doing a self-help, self-care mm-hmm. book? I'm really doing a save-your-life book mm-hmm. because I do think that most of us, Abby, mm-hmm. come into this world and there is a scar or a hole in our souls because there's not enough grace, let's just say, right? What's the yeah. class our parents take? I mean, what you know? how do we teach each other how mm-hmm. to really unconditionally love a little person mm-hmm. without so many barriers and boundaries and yeah. hoops and all the yeah. things? And so then we do move in the world looking, uh, my friend Jim Loder would say, for the face that will never leave us. Like, I love that, right? Yeah. And and But th- that's not happening. And then you might end up in a funky relationship trying to find it. You might mm-hmm. find up in drugs trying to find it because you need it. Yeah, yeah. So what could we, I, I do find myself wondering about raising little people to love themselves. I, mm-hmm. How can we make it a purpose for mm-hmm. adults everywhere? Yeah, to raise babies who love themselves. You know, I, I can, I'm I'm one of those lucky people who came out of my child and was was able to kind of like sift through and keep the things that were good and mm-hmm. kind of put aside the things that weren't. So um, when my instincts were taking me in the wrong direction, I was able to recognize it. And mm-hmm. so I I I felt like I broke a cycle. Mm, good um, for you. Yeah. And it was partly because my part of my partnership with my mm-hmm. husband, who was a deeply kind and loving man. 
Um, and I think that no matter how you raise them, no matter how well you think you're doing, there's some way in which you're messing it all up. <laughs> Guaranteed, right? <laughs> you know, you're like, you're like the goalie of their life, you know? And no, nobody's going to notice you until you mess up. Um, so I, I, you know, I, as my children have moved into adulthood and they've come back to me with anger about this and that, I've been shocked and it has really rocked me to my core. Um, but as they've moved through that process, and thank God, I always like left a little money aside for the therapy. <laughs> it's good <laughs> so to put it in your budget. Everybody should do that. <laughs> um, Did you hear what she said, everyone? Like, a little money aside for therapy or yes, a coach. Absolutely. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. and um, and and uh, and and then little by little, we mm-hmm. we arrive back at a place where um, where we are. Um, in a, it, it's a little like reconciling in a marriage. Now we're yeah. in a whole new relationship, and this yeah. is a better one because everyone's telling the truth now. That's right. And um, and that is kind of where I find myself with my kids, at a at a place where we've worked through the parts where maybe I was self centered, maybe I spent too much time on the road, maybe this, maybe that, um, maybe I was too heteronormative. Um, mm-hmm. That's a big one in my <laughs> like. I I I I messed up in a thousand ways, uh, all while I was trying, and conscious of trying to do my best. So um, yeah, I think that we should all, I almost every person on Earth when they have that baby, and this rush of feeling comes over you, and it doesn't just come over the mother, it it or you know or the father or whoever right. is giving Why birth right? right that oxycontin oh sorry. Not that. Oxytocin? Oxytocin. Oxytocin. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) But that is that state of euphoria. And it's not even euphoria. It's like this is an astounding level of love. It's cosmic. It's divine. You can't believe you don't even know this person. And you would do anything Anything. to protect them. And, and, And your partner's right there with you. And it's not just oxytocin. It's. Because how how is he also feeling that? Yeah. It's not just some biological thing. Um, like, I feel like it, I wish there were a way to take a picture of that moment in your heart and keep mm. it with you because that's your guiding star. That's mm-hmm. what your child needs to feel from you, even when they've tried a drug you didn't want them to try. I mean, like, when they're little, they do things that disappoint you. When they're big, they do things that terrify you and make you even question whether you raise a child with good values. And and so, like, again, Jesus wouldn't say all this stuff if it wasn't hard. Love them anyway. Love your neighbor. Your child is your closest neighbor. Your husband, your wife, your partner is your closest neighbor. How do you, how do you love them as yourself? Yeah, I think I love, I love the, the implicit in what we're saying of there will be just such disappointment and heartbreak because you love yeah. someone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right? And, and isn't it, it the, you know what the awful thing about that is? Um, somebody said to me once that when your child goes through childhood, one by one, you have to drop every fantasy you had for them. Mm. And and it's not that you're disappointed. It's just he's not going to be Einstein. And he's not going to be Chopin. He's not going to be Picasso. You know, 
so it's not it's not an insult to them to say um, I'm re- deeply disappointed that you're not Picasso, but um, th- there are these ways in which you have to sort of let go of everything that you brought yeah. and recognize that he or she brought everything that they needed and that that was more than enough. And that's a transition you have to make as a parent. You have to n- know that there is a moment you're going to have to arrive at where you look at them and see them for who they are uniquely, and they're the only person who ever existed who is this exact person, and they are a miracle, and you have to find your way back to that feeling that you felt that very first beginning. That That is just so beautifully said. writing in the book a little bit about parenting though I don't have children I feel like I co-mothered my (laughs) brothers and my sister and got grandbabies now but I think it's true that in any kind of love perhaps the 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 if the intention is this human is going to unfold before me I'm Mm -hmm. going to read this book that is this person I'm Mm going to just turn the page and discover uncover be surprised be delighted be infuriated yeah. by this person and I'm out of control I, there's nothing I'm doing that's going to make this person not who they are um, Jim Loder would say love is the non-possessive delight mm. in the particularity of the other I mm. love that the mm. non-possessive delight so I'm not mm. going to change you I'm not going to fix you yeah. I'm just going to see you and the truth of that to me the truth of that is also that we have to be able to be honest and mm-hmm. when our kids, I think we really kill kill each other's souls, Abby, not just mm-hmm. our kids. But if we force the people we love to put on a false person for us, or a persona, or a patina, or a mask, or something, I think we erode their soul. Yeah. I don't mean to be dramatic, but I think right, like I think it's soul death, yeah. little by little. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. There are ways in which, there are myriad ways in which, um, an individual, but also a family or a whole society, um, can eat away at your soul little mm-hmm. by little. And, mm-hmm. um, honestly, that's what I attribute my dad's mistakes toward the end of his life to. Um, is that he was very powerful and very wealthy and quite well known. Mm-hmm. And one by one, the friendships that were real friendships from way back started to fall away. And they were replaced with friendships, kind of, except that everybody was relying on him for a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, and that. <laughs> You, they're not going to tell you the truth about yourself, and mm-hmm. and it's there's a Japanese beetle is this um, beetle that eats the inside of the tree, and so the tree looks completely fine, and then it falls over. Right, and I think that's what happens to your insides when you have too much power or privilege in the form of money or whiteness or maleness or any mm-hmm. of those things. If you mm-hmm. happen to have the trifecta, it's really terrible. It's really terrible. Yeah, um, and so you got to have the truth tellers around you and you have to have the soul strength to be told the truth. Yeah. Um, and you have to signal to people you, that you want the truth because people will assume you don't. Um, 
it's it's hard. I mean, I'm in this position myself, and I'm really fighting hard not to be my father. And I can see all the ways in which it would be so much easier to relax into it. Yeah. How do you? How do you love you well? I I wouldn't say I'm very um I'm a model of anything like that because um I still struggle with you know epic amounts of insecurity about whether I'm doing the right things with my life whether I'm keeping too much money for myself and should be giving more away whether I'm spending my time. I mean, I'm, I'm making this film, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I, I seesaw wildly back and forth between who cares what I think? And, you know, just because you have the position and the money to make a film doesn't mean your opinion is any more important than anybody else's. So that's one side of the seesaw. The other side is dig down deep into your soul, look really hard and ask yourself, are you right about this? Hmm. Then do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that seesaw is hard. And you know what's the most stressful thing to me is when people compliment me. And I know that sounds crazy. Um, applause makes me want to cry. Wow. Um, and it's because um, I think I spent a lot of my childhood groveling for approval. Okay. And didn't get it. Hmm. And, and now, right now where I am, Lots of people will give me lots of approval, and many people will give me more than I have earned hmm. mm-hmm. because of my name, because of my money, because right. of my position. And so I need to take every compliment and parse it and right. make sure I understand yeah. where it's coming from and, okay. and weigh yeah. it. So yeah. that's exhausting. Sure you know, I, yeah. that's exhausting. But, but I know the consequences should I go ahead and just let it all in. Mm-hmm. It will not be good for me. And I'd rather be exhausting, uh, exhausted from fighting this fight than turn into the person that I might turn into because I give up. Wow. Abby. So in a way, you are seeking the truth um, yeah. in those exchanges, just candor, just real, sincere, honest yeah. truth, not blow smoke up your skirt or yeah, pants. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I just have been really thinking a lot about truth the last couple of days. Uh, I write a note to my church every week, and the one today was about truth, just thinking about how easy the lies are. They just flow out of the mouth in, yeah. in the public square. Just like, yeah. Uh, you know, a, a defense counsel for boys who take rifles on protests and mm-hmm. um, the testimony of folks who were just teasing when they thought they would make a meme about killing AOC. Mm-hmm. I mean, what? So... I want to make a connection just maybe just as a statement between the power of truth as part of love. Mm-hmm. You don't want fake yeah. lies. You want yeah. true relationship, true yeah. communication yeah. as part of love. A- abs- absolutely. Right. Um, and that is a thing. Um, I, I mean, I think that if the, the more lies that are in there— the more they um, they act like foundations, but they're actually just made of dust, and mm-hmm. and the, the the whole thing will come down eventually, yeah. Yeah. Um, unless the truth is really really shared, and um, and that's hard. That means saying uh, like I'm I hate to tell you this, but I did this thing I promised you I wouldn't do, right? 
Um, and I'm really ashamed. And like the art of the apology is then to stop explaining and yeah. just let the other person be mad at you right. <laughs> and sit with that for a minute. Um, that was the hardest thing about the whole yeah. thing. But um, that's that's kind of, that's the space you have to be living in is the constant exchange of that. You know, mm. it's love is a dialogue. Um, love is a dialogue. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and it has to be, the lies will kill it. So, Abby, what do you know for sure about love? <laughs> um, what do I know for sure? I know for sure um, that love is not only a good, but it is probably the only worthy thing of committing a whole lifetime to. Hmm. Um, I try to test everything I do against um, the, my priority uh, mm-hmm. of seeking love in the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I fall short sometimes and I try to course correct. Um, I think love is present in every single human being, Hitler included. I think when you go look at a mass shooter, um, the first thing he does before he goes out and does that hateful thing is he he kills his wife or his sister or his mother or whatever was the person that at one time or another he loved the most. Mm -hmm. Um, And like he knows he has to kill that before he can become a hateful person doing hateful things. So. I know that it's present in so many of the places you wouldn't expect to find it and that people would surprise you when you when you go and you engage with them and seek that out in them. People would surprise you. And um, thank God they're full of surprises. Thank God. Yeah. And when we say, when I say fierce love, what does mm-hmm. that evoke for you? Uh, it, it, it evokes all kinds of things about the way I am a parent. Mm. Um, and, and also, it, it evokes the way I think about social justice work. Mm. Um, because, I, I, as I told you, I'm making a film about the way Disney treats its employees. And that's my name on that company. Mm. You know, I, I don't have a role there. I'm not even a very big shareholder. But that's my name on that company. And I remember walking through those gates many, many, many times as a child with my grandfather who greeted everyone and asked about their wife and their children and knew every name and picked up garbage from the sidewalk and said to me every time, no one's too good to pick up a piece of garbage. And I think about that as compared with where things are right now. And, and, and the flaw that has brought us to this place has been to allow ourselves, even just only in our business lives, to let love die. Mm. Like, to just leave love at the door mm. so it doesn't distract us from these important decisions we're going to be making about whether to buy this company or sell this stock or whatever. Um, everything would be different if we hadn't driven love out of the public square mm. um, and and out of what we think of as rational discourse. Um, I think most discourse would be more rational if love were present 
and accounted for as a as an influence and um, a driver of behavior. From your from your lips <laughs> to God's ears, yeah. a prayer that we wouldn't leave love at the door, yeah. uh, even as we do the business of life. Yeah. So, Wendelin Brooks, do you know the poem uh, Paul Robeson? Yes. We are each other's business. We are each other's business. Yeah. Oh man, thank you for reminding me of that, <laughs> Gabby. I'm saying Gabby, Abby. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been such for a this pleasure. Conversation. It's just such weird. a pleasure. It's almost as good as sitting around in handcuffs together. I know. <laughs> that was such a crazy day. I know, I love that. <laughs> that was such a crazy day.